Luke, the physician and the evangelist, wrote his gospel in a well-researched and orderly way. He said that he wanted to give an orderly account of the person and work of Jesus Christ for God lovers. His stated purpose was that people who love God might know the accuracy, the certainty of the story of Jesus Christ. In other words, Luke is writing the gospel and telling us this is true truth. This is not fan fiction. As we make our way through the story today, I want you to keep that in mind. This is true truth, not fan fiction. I also want you to keep in mind that in this story, we see Zechariah the priest once again. And Zechariah's story mirrors the story of John the baby, like father, like son. The old man converts and becomes like a little child, like a little baby in the womb of the temple. He's quiet and he's speechless for 40 weeks. And at the end of that 40 weeks, he will be born again, circumcised in heart, participating in the naming ritual of his son. And then and only then is he going to offer loud cries and shouts of joy with gladness. So in this story, Zechariah goes on a journey that takes him from fearful silence all the way to joyful song. Takes him from darkness to light, from contemplation to action from spiritual formation to transformation. And I want to suggest to you that the story that Zechariah follows, the journey that he goes on, is the same one that you and I must go on. This is why I asked you earlier this weekend to think about a time when you were left speechless or you just held your peace or kept silence And also to think about a time when you shouted for joy and could not keep yourself from singing or shouting. When have you gone from fearful silence to joyful song? Zechariah goes into the temple. He goes into the holy place up to the altar of incense, which is located between golden lampstand on one side and showbread on the other. And he's there to perform his priestly duties, to offer holy fire, to burn incense, to present the prayers of the people. Now this in and of itself evokes fear and trembling in any priest who entered the temple. And here's why. Because early on at the very beginning, the foundations of the tabernacle and the temple in the beginning of that worship The story of Nadab and Abihu unfolded. And their story would have been at the forefront of Zechariah's mind. Because that story served as a reminder of what can happen to any priest who draws near to God and offers strange fire to the Lord. Nadab and Abihu were priests who were consumed by the holy fire of God and died in his presence. So you know that any priest entering the temple is going to think about these things. Zechariah enters the dark silence of the temple to draw near to the mysterious presence of God. And he knows that this is not the time to do whatever seems right in your own eyes. 
This is not a time to tinker around with the liturgy. This is not a time for spontaneity or mixing things up or keeping things fresh. This is a time to focus your heart, your mind, your body, and your soul on the Lord God. To stick to the ancient ways, to draw near by faith with reverence and awe. Why? Because in your bones, you know that God is a consuming fire. So imagine Zechariah the priest standing at the altar in a cloud of smoke, offering the prayers of the people. And imagine the silence inside that holy place. The only sounds are the sounds, the ones the priest makes with his movements, his breathing, the clinking of tongs, the crackling of coals, the burning of incense. And the only thing that stands between Zechariah the priest and the divine presence is a thick veil just a few feet away. For the last 400 years or so, God's people have lived in his presence with this deafening silence. God is there, and yet he's been silent. He has not spoken to his people by a priest or a prophet since he last spoke to them through Malachi the prophet some 400 years earlier. And I can't help but wonder if when Zechariah enters the temple, if he's not meditating and reflecting on the words of Malachi the prophet, what were the last words of God? Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, declares the Lord of hosts. And Zechariah ponders, is the messenger an angel, a prophet, or the Christ? As for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping. And the priest wonders, one day, the dark night of the soul will end. Our sorrows will be turned to joy. Our grieving will be turned into dancing. But when? Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And the priest wonders about Elijah. He never died, did he? He was carried away in chariots of fire. Is he still alive? After all these years. And Elijah will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So when Elijah comes, he will restore our families and revive our children. Perhaps Zechariah was pondering these last and final words of God in the fearful silence of the temple, when suddenly Gabriel, the archangel, the messenger of the Lord, stepped through the veil between the seen and the unseen realms and stood beside the altar in the temple and spoke to him. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. You and your wife will have a son 
you'll name him John. And your son will fulfill in his life and ministry the words of the prophets, but especially those of Malachi, the prophet. After 400 years, this is how God chose to break the silence. Now, the fact that an angel showed up in the middle of this worship service is a miracle in itself. But the fact that Zechariah did not die from shock when the angel appeared is another kind of miracle altogether. The story shocks us as it shocked Zechariah because we often find ourselves going through the liturgical movements of the Lord's Day service, but not really expecting much to happen. We might say we believe that when we draw near to worship God, that we gather with angels and archangels and all the host of heaven. We might even know that it is written in the scriptures that the Spirit lifts us up into heaven. But we low-key believe that what you see is what you get. We live in a secular age, and it's easy for us to get trapped in the imminent frame, in the right here and the right now. That's why many of us struggle from a lack of spiritual imagination and a loss of transcendent vision. We come to church, but we don't really expect angels to minister to us. We don't really expect God to show up or hear our prayers or speak to us or even commune with us at the table. We don't really expect anything supernatural to happen, or do we? So what shall we do? Stop going to church? Stop pretending that we're waiting on God to move or do something? No, Like Zechariah the priest, we need to keep going to church. We need to keep drawing near to worship, keep entering the silence, to keep waiting on the Lord. And here's why. It's because we need the fear of God to be put back into us, and we need our faith in the Lord to be reawakened. When the angel appeared and announced his message, Zechariah trembled with fear, and this was the right and proper response to an angel of God appearing to him. But here's the problem. He did not couple that fear with faith. He did not believe the good news. His eyes and his ears told him one thing, but his heart told him another. Here's why. Not only because it all sounded way too good to be true, but also because it contradicted everything about his personal life experience. That's why he asked, how shall I know the certainty? In other words, when I apply the powers of my intellect and I crunch all the numbers and process all the data and use the best of my reason... At the end of the day, I am still an old man, and my wife is still advanced in years. And we have tried and given up trying to have a baby together. We can all relate to Zechariah's doubt. We can all relate to Zechariah's disbelief. In response to Zechariah's unbelief of the good news, Here's what the angel does. He shuts his mouth and he ties his tongue. 
The old man was changed and became like a little child in this moment, like a newborn baby in the womb of the temple. He will be born again in 40 weeks, but until then, he must experience and endure a fearful silence. Silence seems like such a bad thing to us. But this is no arbitrary punishment. This is a discipline, a spiritual discipline, a gift of grace, a blessing to Zechariah. Here are a few examples from the scriptures to show you what I mean. In the midst of his suffering and anguish and misery, Job repented and sat in silence. He realized that he talked way too much. And so he covered his head with dust and ashes and he put his hand over his mouth and he kept silent. When Moses gave the law to God's people, the priests stood up and they said to all of Israel, keep silent, listen to the word of God, pay attention to the covenant of blessing and curses. King David saying in one of his Psalms that it is good to ponder things at night in your heart, on your bed, and to be silent. Habakkuk the prophet called out and urged God's people to remember even on the eve of judgment that the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. St. Paul said that God holds the whole world accountable for its many sins so that every mouth will be silenced before him. No more making excuses, no more offering reasons, no more debating, no more negotiating so that all the world will keep silence before him. The supreme example and model of the power of silence is the Lord Jesus Christ. When he was accused, beaten, charged, in the midst of his suffering, anguish, and misery, he was silent and did not open his mouth. Silence is such a blessing, and yet we treat it like a curse. Silence is so uncomfortable for us. Silence is unbearable to us. In his wonderful book, Pierced by Love, a book which I cannot recommend highly enough to you, in his wonderful book, Pierced by Love, Hans Borsma warns us about the dictatorship of noise. He observes, we use noise to drown out the very words that God wants us to hear. Our world is exceptionally noisy. Traffic, construction, lawnmowers, radios, TVs. Noise is everywhere and inescapable. And smartphones have perilously amplified the problem. Music, 
videos, news, social media, all produce noise and interfere with genuine listening. He goes on to argue that silence leads to repentance, which leads to obedience, which leads to patience, which leads back to silence. And we need silence if we are to hear the word of God and to receive it by faith. The silence of of the contemplative life leads to the songs of the active life. If you've not experienced that yourselves, at least see it in the life of Zechariah the priest who spent 40 weeks enjoying and experiencing the contemplative life which finally gives way to the active life. He was silent for 40 weeks, but in the fullness of time, his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, and he broke the silence. Not by grumbling, not by complaining, not by making excuses for his doubt, not by trying to rationalize his disbelief. He broke the silence by praising and blessing the Lord God. The old man who was converted and became like a little child in the womb of the temple is now born again, circumcised in heart, and he praises God with loud shouts of joy and gladness. The joyful song that he now sings is a song that echoes the words of of the archangel Gabriel because now, after all this time, after a period of fearful silence, Zechariah believes every word. And how do we know he believes every word? Because his fearful silence gives way to joyful song. Everything the angel foretold has unfolded according to the angel's message. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were able to make a son together, and Zechariah called him John, as the angel said. Zechariah is filled with joy and gladness as he is also filled with the Holy Spirit. And many neighbors and relatives and friends are also rejoicing at John's birth. This is a joyful and festive occasion. This is not a time for sorrow and grief. This is a time for rejoicing and reflecting on the goodness of God. And everyone is amazed at what is unfolding there. The angel said that John will be great before the Lord and that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Perhaps only Zechariah knows that and he treasures that in his heart, but he has no idea how that is going to unfold in the life of his son. As great as it is to know all of these good things about John, Zechariah does not know all the details. He doesn't know the jagged road that John will take to fulfill his ministry. He doesn't know how John is going to be arrested and how John's life will finally end. He doesn't know that John will prepare himself for three decades in the wilderness and then show up and in less than three years fulfill his life, his calling, and his ministry. 
All he knows right now is that his son is going to be great before the Lord and that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, that there will not be a moment or a day of his life that he lives outside the presence of God. And so after enduring a fearful silence, Zechariah now expresses a joyful song of praise. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah has fully embraced by faith the life and mission of his son. There's no resistance, only encouragement and rejoicing because now he knows that God has given him a son for a purpose. And the purpose is that the world may know the Lord Jesus Christ. As the angel said, John will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. What does it mean that he will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah? It means that John is going to be an eccentric desert prophet. That he is not going to care if he fits in the style of everyone else, if he dresses like all the other kids, if he's keeping up with the current trends. John is going to dress like a camel. He's not interested in all the gourmet foods and fancy dining of others. John is going to devour judgment. He's going to eat locusts. And he's going to delight in salvation and the word of God as he eats honey. John is going to lead his people across the Jordan, out of the wilderness, out of slavery, into the promised land. And he's going to call others to follow him according to the promises and the power of God. John is going to turn people back from worshiping and serving idols. He'll be in conflict with religious leaders of his day. He will call his people to stop limping and wavering between two sides. He will stand up to wicked kings and he will call them to turn from their sin and to trust in the Lord. John will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children so that children will grow up in the grace and knowledge of Christ so that fathers will take ownership in catechizing their children and discipling them and bringing them up in the things of the Lord. John is interested in making people ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, to prepare people to meet the Savior of the world. And how is John going to do all of this? Well, Zechariah lays it out in his song. 
John is going to go to them and he's going to give them knowledge and give them light and guide them in the way of peace. And he is going to get them to see Jesus Christ and follow him. And how will he do that? Because like father, like son, as Zechariah sang a song of joy before the Lord, so John will sing a song of joy again and again, the song of Christ the Savior. Behold, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, the lamb of God who brings forgiveness of sins to his people. Behold, the lamb who lays down his life for you and takes it up again. Behold the lamb who is the sacrifice God makes on behalf of his people. Turn from your sins, trust in him. This will be John's song and John's message. All the days of his ministry life, which will not be very many. God moves his people from fearful silence to joyful song. by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us time to reflect on our lives, to repent our sins, to see what our deep need is. And what our deepest need is, is the forgiveness of sins. And he sends prophets and priests and pastors to help us prepare the way for the Lord because Jesus is coming. And so with whatever time we have left in our lives, whatever you, time you have left today, we're expected to use that time, not for self-indulgence, not to do whatever seems right in our own eyes, not to keep doing the things we're doing as we run from God any way we choose, but we're to use that time to turn back to the Lord, to prepare ourselves, body and soul, to meet the Lord when he comes, so that on the day he comes, we will not be ashamed we will not be embarrassed. We will not cower in fear, but we will meet the Lord with joy and peace in the Holy Spirit that we will be ready in any moment at any given time when the Lord shall come. So like John, like Zechariah, like Malachi, I simply want to echo all of them to say, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make yourselves ready to meet the Lord when he comes. And when he comes, let your confession of faith be, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away my sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, we do pray that your Spirit will take the gospel of grace and peace and love and plant it deep in our hearts. We pray that what is planted there will grow and bear much fruit. We pray that you will grant us the grace to repent our sins and turn back to the Lord Jesus Christ. That you will grant us the grace to obey him in all things. We pray for the grace of silence that you will quiet our hearts and still our mouths and ease our anxious minds that we may listen 
and hear all that you have for us in your word. We pray that you will make us quick to listen and slow to speak as our forefathers in the faith learned that as we close our mouths, you open our ears. And as we still our tongues, your spirit speaks the grace and truth of Christ to us. And this is our desire and prayer that these things will happen in our lifetime, that you will grant us the grace to live a life of quiet contemplation. And when the time is right, move us to a life of joyful and active participation in the things of God. These things we ask and pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.